Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Yes, I'm on. Okay, cool. Um, Beulah are a great church, aren't they? Oh, my goodness. Now, it doesn't mean that we all should be going to Beulah, um, just, just so we're really clear about that. Um, because that doesn't help, it doesn't help the world if we all go to Beulah, yeah? Uh, but it really does help that Beulah come here. Um, and once again, thanking you, Johnny and Vanessa. They're just wonderful people um, who come regularly to us and just serve us. And then Joseph, who I've known for a little longer than I've known them, it's just wonderful, really, really wonderful. Um, and they're going to they're gonna be part of what helps us to become all that God has called us to be as a church. And uh, God has got great things for us. I mean, that long, gosh, this long document that we obviously sent him, I don't know how many of us have read that document, um, about all the visions and words that God has over our church. But God has definitely spoken over this church, and there are things that God wants to do through us. In here in uh, Brixton and Clapham and wherever it is we are based. Um, we are in the middle of a, a, a kind of our third cycle of our vision, which is around uh, mission, what we're moving out to. And our vision cycle, as I said last week, is the absolute outworking, the practical outworking of the mission of our church, which is to build the church uh, to the glory of Jesus and to serve the community. And the absolute outworking of that is our vision cycle, which is why we have a term where we look at foundations, we have a term when we look at going deeper in God, and then we have a term where we look at what it means to look outwards, and this is where we are now. And it's interesting to know our our course, Friendship First, which is helping and equipping us to reach out to our Muslim neighbours. That started really well on Wednesday. They had a good group there, and it's great that that is happening. Um, And we've talked about the need to, or the desire for us to bring people to things, yeah? To the comedy night and to other things, to bring people to what God wants to do through us. Last week, when I talked, I began a series on Acts, which is going to run up to through the summer, called The Church is Born. Last week, I kind of, you could summarise what I said as this. When the Holy Spirit came, he primarily came to empower us to witness. That was the primary purpose. It wasn't that we might have an experience in a moment, in a meeting. It was to equip us to witness because it is impossible to witness about the gospel and about what Jesus has done except by the Holy Spirit. It's impossible to do it. And when Joseph was talking, he talked about opportunity and he talked about opposition. One of the reasons we need the Holy Spirit is it's the only way that we can really overcome opposition. You don't overcome opposition by a stiff upper lip and just trying to be strong. Yeah? You overcome opposition in the spiritual realm by the work of the Holy Spirit in you. And so we ended last week with really asking that the Holy Spirit might be upon us, that we might be a witness, that we might be an example, that we might recognise 
what God has for us to do. And, and we looked at that through Acts chapter 1, the first 11 verses, when Jesus he rises from the dead, he meets with his disciples, he proves to them that he has risen, he eats with them, he spends time with them over a period of time. It was impossible for them to think he, they had been hallucinating, it was impossible for them to think he was a ghost because he ate with them, they touched him, he spoke to them and what he says to them is wait, wait. And the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you will be my witnesses. So we're just moving on in that same uh, chapter of Acts chapter 1, and I'm just going to read some verses from there. Chapter 1, verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, And he said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language Akladama, that is, the field of blood. For, Peter said, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted and let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning with John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of those must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justus, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Just you've been present with us already this morning in our worship, in Joseph's sharing, in the notices even that John and uh, Becky gave. Lord, you're with us. We sense your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would continue to speak and equip and strengthen us in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know how many of you ever have this thought. I wouldn't say I have this thought very often, but maybe one day you wake up and you're just daydreaming and you think to yourself, what would it do, what would it take to set up a global, multi-generational organisation? How many of you have ever had that kind of thought? Mark's nodding. Mark's had that thought. What would it take? 
How would you go about it? What would you do? You sit there, now if I wanted to do something that was going to change the world, what would I do? Yeah, have a cup of coffee, just thinking about that. I imagine at some point you would think, well, I know I will need a clear vision and a clear strategy. I would want to hire the best people I could find around the world. I want to know who's my target audience. I'd want to do lots of market research, etc., etc. In fact, if you type that into Google, it will talk about you can do six steps to this and three tips for that if you want to start a global international organization. Experts will agree you don't do this and you don't do that. Imagine then if you were in an organization and the founder, the visionary leader, died before you even had a chance to open your first shop. They died. How many of us would continue? Imagine if the strategy wasn't obviously clear to us, the means that the team didn't exude the best kind of potential. We weren't looking around thinking, look, we've got some global people here. We're looking around thinking, do you know what? We don't have anything here. Imagine that. Imagine Apple without Steve Jobs or Facebook without Mark Zuckerberg. They wouldn't be the same. You'd be going, no, they'd have to be there. They were the guys that carried it. Ordinarily, that must be true. That's the way human nature works. If you take Steve Jobs out of Apple at the beginning, it would not be Apple. It wouldn't be what we have there now. However, the church is different. The church does not have a human paradigm. It doesn't have an equivalent because it wasn't birthed on the earth. It was birthed in the heart of God. The church did not come about because some people thought, oh, wouldn't it be good if we just got together once a week on a Sunday between certain hours and we finished with coffee? Wouldn't that be a good thing? Yet nobody came up with that idea. It wasn't born in that way. It wasn't born according to human nature. The church was born in the heart of God. It was a group, it began with a group of nobodies in society. The the passage talks about Peter stood up among the eleven. What was Peter? He was a fisherman. Yeah, it wasn't like he was even a religious leader. He was a fisherman. He stands up among the eleven and he's gathered around him other fishermen and tax collectors and people like that. They gathered around uh, women with them in this group. On the face of it, there was no potential to change the world. Nothing. The church was not born to a human paradigm. You could not and would not have made it up. Humanly speaking, it could not and would not have survived. And yet, it has become the largest institution in the world. The longest running institution in the world. It has affected more things than you would care to imagine. Do you know what we're watching? I'm sure some of you, just have to get this in there, I'm sure some of us are watching the World Cup, yeah? Who's watched a World Cup game? Confess, admit, believe. Yeah, Yeah, you're watching the World Cup. I don't know how many of you know that football as we now know it began in the heart of a Christian in the 19th century. 
Did you know that? No, it began in the heart of a Christian. Now, I'm not sure that they thought, do you know what, I'm going to start this tournament. I don't know that they thought about the tournament, but what they thought about was, how do we engage and help young boys on our streets? That was a thought. Yeah? Did you know, even the NHS, it begins in the heart of a believer. So many of our organisations that we look at today begin in the heart of a Christian and they begin in the heart of the church. Yeah? And yet the church's beginnings were fishermen and tax collectors and 120 people in a room and they were hiding because they were frightened of the Jews. That's how it begins. That's not how you begin global organisations. There was no clear strategy, there was no clear vision, and the founder was dead. The church was born in supernatural power by the Holy Spirit, and it is sustained and flourishes in exactly the same way. The danger of the church is you can forget how it was born. You can forget how it began. You can forget, oh no, God did something that changed things and as a result, the church was born. You can forget that and then you can turn to rules and regulations and legislations and stuff. The church will always die when it becomes human-focused in terms of its strategy and growth. Praying and waiting on the Holy Spirit remain two key aspects of the DNA of the church. But they don't make any sense humanly, do they? If you're going to start, if you met in a little small group of other people who were trying to start internationally global organisations and you sat down, what's your group? My group's the church. Okay, how are you going to do that? Well, I'm praying. What does that mean? It means I talk. What to you might appear to myself, but it's actually to God. I'm talking and I'm waiting. How does any organisation begin by talking and waiting? Yeah? But the church began that way. Yeah? Because outside of that talking and waiting, there is the Holy Spirit of God who is moving and acting. It's a supernatural community. Again, we might, we're, we're in danger of thinking that the church is just another way of doing life. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can just build communities. It's a way of doing community. And actually, in the church, what's really great about it is you can, you can help people. Isn't that great? I can help people, I can have community, and I can help people. That's all I ever want to do. Yeah? The church is not another way of doing community. It is a supernatural community that God has pulled together, that God, that Jesus died for. It has relationships and connections that we could not imagine are natural. And we mustn't forget that. Though it it is a place for community and though it is a place for helping, it is not about those things. God has done something much, much deeper. And the very thing that I've talked about, the founder dying even before it started, became the very motivation for building the church. How odd would that be? How odd is that? That the very thing that motivated the people to do the church and to build the church and to start the church was that the founder died. And how on earth did they manage to stick so closely to his vision? It was because the Holy Spirit was in them showing them this is what you're meant to do. This is how you're meant to go. 
There are two things that we can see from this passage about the birth of the church. So last week we talked about the need for the Holy Spirit. He empowers us to witness. We're to wait until he comes. This week we're looking at two other aspects of this. And the first is the people, yeah, the, the names. And the second is what did they do? Their actions. So when we see the, the, the first thing that happens here, after they've told about the Holy Spirit, Jesus goes up into heaven, the first thing that happens is he names people. Luke names a number of people. He names all the disciples, the 11 that were left. He names Mary, the mother of Jesus. He names the women and he names his family. What an odd group of people. How did they make it to 120? How many brothers did he have? You've got the 12 disciples, you've got the the mother of Jesus and the brothers, and then you've got these other people that have just gathered in, and he names them. Why was that important? Well, I think it's important for this reason. Naming real people, yeah, who at that time they could have traced, oh, Peter is a fisherman, naming real people brought a level of authenticity and genuineness to what this was all about. At the beginning, the church was a gathering of ordinary people. That's what God did. He gathered ordinary people. And he uses ordinary people to fulfill his purpose. I I spoke a number of weeks ago about the fact that we can have a negative connotation of what it is to be used yeah, if you feel used, you're like, that, that's a negative thing in me. You know, if I think that you've used me, I'd feel a bit, uh, yeah. But God uses us all the time. And he doesn't, he doesn't apologize, he doesn't say, I'm really sorry, I'm going to, no, he uses you all the time. And in fact, we want to be used by God. We're going, God, use me. Yeah, using can be a very positive thing. God uses people to build the church. And they gather in one room. Men and women, Jesus' family and his friends, this would have been a countercultural, unusual group. You must hear that. This was not normal, even in first century Palestine, for 120 people, male and female, to be gathered together in one room, Jesus' family and his friends. It did not make sense. And yet, this is where the church is born. And what it tells us is not so much about the greatness of Peter, but it does tell us about the greatness of God and the greatness of the Holy Spirit. So there is this gathering. God names people. And I think that's important for us to realise because God names you. Yeah, God calls you by name. He doesn't just say, come and join the crowd. Yeah, though you join a community, he calls you by name. Yeah, he draws you by name, which means God has a purpose for you. Yeah, as part of his thing, he has a purpose for you. He wants you to, um, I suppose, to enjoy his grace. He wants you to enjoy his goodness. He wants you to be part of it. So when you think to yourself, oh, nobody notices me. Nobody gets me, nobody sees me, nobody understands me. God's saying, yes, I do. I understand you. 
I see you, I get you, and that's why I placed you here. There is something sovereign about how God does stuff. And by sovereign, I mean it's not to be argued with. If I ended up in some meandering of my journey, I end up in this place. God has sovereignly brought me here. He has a purpose and he has a plan. Names are important. God uses people. That's why they're named in the scripture. It doesn't just say then there were thousands and there were thousands. Of course, there are mentions of thousands, but there are also mentions of names. And we'll come back to that in a moment. But the second thing we find they do, you've got this gathering of people, the church is born, a group of people in a room, they become the first church. But the second thing they do, they do do actions. God is about building something for a purpose. We know what that purpose is. We know that many of those disciples actually gave their lives for this very thing. They didn't know that at the time, but we know that. We know that's what happened, that they became so convinced about the resurrection of Jesus. They were so convinced about the power of the Holy Spirit for them to witness that some of them were prepared to die for this. And most of them did. They died for this. But in this little space, God is, God is beginning to gather his people and he's beginning to sort some things out. So Peter talks about Judas. And I don't know whether, you know, it's interesting Peter quotes that psalm. I don't know whether that was a random quote. He just found it and he just, you know, we might go, actually, Peter, I'm not sure that was doctrinally exactly theologically correct. You just use these scriptures. Yeah, but he, just, he, he just quotes some psalms. And he says, look, this is what we need to do. We need to find another leader. So they follow what the scripture says. It's interesting. What are their actions? They recognize there's a gap in leadership. They're praying and waiting on God. God speaks to them. There's a gap in your leadership. You need to do something about that gap. They choose a replacement leader. It's interesting what the criteria was. Yeah, There were two things to the criteria that they chose. One was that they are a witness, as we have been witnesses from the beginning of what Jesus has done. And they're witnesses to the resurrection. That was one criteria for choosing. And the other was in the prayer. God, you know everyone's heart. And we spent a whole term looking at the heart. And the fact that in the end, God sees your heart. And God is drawn to hearts who are drawn to his heart. God comes to strengthen your heart. God isn't so much interested in what you appear to do. He is interested in what you are doing. He's interested in what's inside of you. And so God chooses the heart. So I don't know what uh, Joseph Barasabas must have thought, known as Justice, when he's sitting there thinking, am I going to be chosen? Am I going to be an apostle? Am I going to be chosen? And then the lot is Matthias. I don't know what happens when you feel like you've been overlooked. You didn't get chosen. You didn't get picked. You thought, I'm in, a, for a char- I'm in with a chance here. I could get chosen. I could be among the number. And then, it, oh, the lot goes to him. And you're like, you want to go, great, wonderful, well done. But in your heart, it's like, oh, why wasn't I chosen? Yeah? And it's very interesting because God rarely at that point feels obliged to explain his actions. Have you ever noticed that? That God doesn't explain himself. Yet you think you're up for something and then you don't get it and, and you're kind of, Lord, I thought you'd led me to this moment. And what comes back from heaven is silence. And you're like, I don't understand. 
Yet God doesn't seem to explain his actions. And even later, there's not a footnote where he says, just so you know, the reason I chose Matthias, there's nothing. Yeah? What Joseph has to do is go, okay, in the grand scheme of what you're doing, God, I am not an apostle. I am this. And I'll carry on being this. Some of us can get scuppered even at that moment, and I want to encourage you, don't be scuppered. Don't be scuppered because you think you've been overlooked, because God never overlooks anyone. Yeah? Overlooking becomes a distraction. And maybe our response to overlooking exposes the heart. I mean, later I'll mention... Uh, In fact, what happens to Joseph is very interesting. Matthias, who becomes an apostle, and maybe he got some high fives, and maybe in his heart he thought, yes, I'm chosen. We never hear of him again. Yeah? He's one of the number. But the only time we read about Matthias is here in Acts chapter 1. Yeah? Matthias was chosen by Lot. Yeah? Now, I'm sure that there is probably some kind of story as to how he died or whatever, but he's an apostle, but we never hear of him again. But Joseph, actually, Barsabas, known as Justice, who does not get chosen, if you were to just skip forward just a few chapters in chapter 15 of Acts, you find that he is one of those who is chosen to take the letter from Jerusalem to Antioch, to tell the church how they should now act and behave. That is a really important job. And Joseph is one of those chosen. He gets another mention in the scripture. So maybe he turned to Matthias and went, okay, you're an apostle, but I've got my own piece. He remained a faithful member of the church and God continued to use him. It's interesting because leadership in that, if you look at it, leadership at this point was not so much about activity. Yeah? Matthias, we don't see that he did anything, but he was an apostle. He stood as a witness to the resurrection. And even for us today, leadership, it can be about activity, but it's also about are we standing as a witness to what God has done? It's not about the gifts that you bring. When there are lists of what qualities of leader, there's only one list which talks about a gift. Everything else are qualities of character, of heart. What is the person like? So we have this situation in the beginning of Acts where they're empowered by the Holy Spirit God sorts out some things with them here and he chooses a new leader. Peter begins to rise as the main spokesperson of the group. And it's all for a purpose. Because remember, God is about to start an international, global, multi-generational corporation. Yeah, that's what he's about to do. He's about to start it. And he's going to use these guys in it. And there are two things that they must understand in order for this to move forward. The first thing is they must recognise the need for sacrifice. And they know that because their founder, Jesus, 
sacrificed himself. And they knew that, they understood that, so they were always willing and also willing to sacrifice themselves because of it, because of Jesus. In fact, when Peter and John are undergoing persecution, and we see that a bit later on, they, they come out giving thank, praise you, Lord, for the persecution that we're receiving. Yeah? Have you ever done that? No, I haven't either. I don't do that. Praise you, Lord, that I'm getting beaten and that people are, people are cursing me and swearing at me and that I'm being trolled on social media. Thank you, Jesus. Of course I'm not like that. Yeah? But they were pleased with that because they knew sacrifice is part of it because Jesus sacrificed himself. I wonder whether for us it's simply the distance of time that means we've disconnected sacrifice with the reality of following. We've disconnected it. So for me, sacrifice becomes, I'm not going to watch the football tomorrow. That becomes sacrifice. Yeah, Because other kinds of sacrifice, they're just a little bit uncomfortable. But for them sacrifice and following were almost hand in hand. They were bedfellows. And the other thing that they had to do, as I talked earlier, I talked about there was no human paradigm for the church. Yeah, There was no organisation where God would dwell with his people in that same way. It hadn't happened before, and it's beginning to happen now. They had to believe him, even when things were happening that did not make sense to them. Yeah, they needed to sacrifice and they needed faith. They needed faith. They needed to be able, do I trust God even when everything I have believed about the world is, be, is different to what seems to be happening? Will I have faith? And I've realised for us, those two things remain key. Am I willing to make sacrifices? Am I willing to sacrifice my life? Am I willing to do whatever it takes to ensure the gospel gets out? And do I have faith? And it's easy to say that. What I mean by that is, do I believe God when everything seems to be the opposite of what he seems to be saying? Will I still believe him? Will I still trust him? Now, as a church, we are in a season of, and it might not appear to you, but it's it's definitely to me, we're in a season of change and transition. God is doing things among us. You'll know that we are um, in the process of moving our office from where we are, thinking about moving our office from where we are to this building here. We're going to hopefully do that in the next few months, or certainly by uh, September. Um, We are appointing elders Hooray. That's a good, good news for me, at least. We're appointing elders here. Um, we're, we're doing a number of things where it's like, okay, God, unless you are in these things, this is going to be difficult. And there have been moments for me, we've, uh, we've got some involvement in New Day, we're processing all the DBSs of New Day, and we've got hundreds more of those to process in a very small team, in a very small window. And there are moments where I get, okay, God, there just seems to be a bit much, and I haven't dotted every I, and I haven't crossed every T. I don't know everything. But we are know-everything people, aren't we? We like to know, what God, what is it you want me to do? How is it going to cost me? How am I going to do it? Where am I going to go? We like to know things, and I don't know everything. And when you don't know everything and you keep moving forward, it's like you think it's a bit tricky. It's a bit tricky. And the other day I was, 
Um, in fact, I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't sleeping, and I was like, oh, God, what am I going to do? I've got this, and I, don't, I don't, and I don't know everything. And there was a temptation in me to want to, I suppose, be a bit cautious and to pull back a bit, and I could justify and rationalise some different decisions because I couldn't understand God's way, the leading. When we were on our weekend away, I told you about the journey, when you go on a journey with God and sometimes you appear to be facing the very opposite way of where you're meant to be going. And sometimes you even appear that you're back at the beginning. And at times I felt that. And I remember I was praying that morning and I felt God say to me, the difference, the gap between where you are and where I'm calling you is bridged by faith. And that wasn't like an excuse because then, oh, okay, I won't worry about it. But it was bridged by faith. And he reminded me in that moment of a story, which I'm going to tell you. When I was in my previous church, and this is many, many years ago now, um, even the story was many years ago. And I remember we were moving forward as a church and, and we, were, we were given the opportunity to buy a building. And, um, you know, we were there ready and we were kind of a bit pumped for that. We'd seen pictures of the building. There was a lot of work. Um, We had a building and just over the road was a a much bigger building. I think it was a territorial army building. It was a big building. And we had the opportunity to take this building. And I, 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 you know, I remember going going to the meeting where we were going to talk about are we going to take the building. And I'd seen pictures and we were there. We were ready. And I remember our pastor standing up and he said, brothers and sisters, um, we're not going for the building. And I remember thinking, okay. And he said, uh, he said, if I'm honest, brothers and sisters, I don't think we've got it. And I think what he meant by that is I don't think we've got the money, I don't think we've got it in us to do this. And there was like, oh, okay. He said, but what we are going to do, you'll be pleased to know, is we're going to redevelop the toilets at the old site. Yeah, we're going to redevelop the toilets. And we were like, oh. So for a moment we were going for, I don't know, the, the area, the town, the nation. We're going, we're going to get a bigger building, we're going to stretch in faith and we're going to do stuff for God. But actually we're not going to do that, we're going to redevelop the toilets. And I remember at the time, because the argument was very rational and it made sense, probably think, oh yeah, that makes sense to redevelop the loops. Yeah, well, they need redeveloping. Yeah? And um, not long after that, it, it all unraveled a little bit and a new pastor came to the church And uh, the first pastor was, I would describe, a theologian. He taught in Bible school. He knew his Bible. The second pastor, even in his library at home, he didn't have enough knowledge to compete with this guy. This guy's a theologian. This guy didn't have all of that. But what this guy had was faith. So he said, redevelop toilets. Now, we did redevelop the toilets, and one of two of the guys did it in the church. Um, this guy came along and said, brothers and sisters, we're going to buy a new building. We're going to redevelop the site. We're going to do some stuff. And we all went, 
oh, yeah, yeah, we want to do some stuff. And the church, over that period, um, I think maybe when we decided we were going to redevelop the toilets, maybe we were 150 people, 200 people, that kind of size. Um, by the time this guy had finished with his faith stories, the church is 1,000 people. And it wasn't, it wasn't so much the gift, it was the faith. Yeah? One person wanted to redevelop toilets because really they came back from the faith and one person was willing to go and let God do whatever God would do and they would trust him in it. When I was reminded of that story at home the other day, I'm praying, I thought, God, I don't want to redevelop the toilets. Whatever that looks like for me, I don't want to do it. Yeah? That's, that's not the step. I want the faith step. Yeah? And I tell you that because the faith step comes with challenge. The faith step comes with opposition. The faith step comes with discomfort. Anything but it's faith. So anything, let me just put it this way, anything we do in our church where you feel uncomfortable about it, where you feel not great about it, I want to ask you to apply faith. Anything. Now, you know, don't overhear me. If, you know, if someone's been horrible to you, I'm not saying, you know, or abusing you, oh, I've had faith to the abuse. No, I'm not saying that. But you know what I mean. Where church itself is difficult and hard for you and you think to yourself, I can't do this, I want you to apply faith. I want you to go, God, we are building something that we do not yet see. We are here not just for us. This is more than just about me. I want you to apply it in that kind of way. Can I ask you that? To do that? Not saying it's going to be easy, but I am saying that in that way we will walk into all the purposes of God for us and we won't redevelop toilets. Yeah? And I want you to remind yourself, we're not redeveloping the toilets here. We're building something that God will come down and bless. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence here. Thank you so much for um, all that you've done this morning. Thank you for the stories. Thank you for Joseph's testimony. Thank you for just the many things that we do as a church that that we're recognising, Lord, today we're doing them in faith. We're trusting you, we're believing you. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to be with us, be with us this week. If any person who has something coming up this week, I pray your blessing upon them, that they would know the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.